0: Welcome to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. I'm Richard Lanford. I'm the pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. I am the Red-Headed Preacher, and this Sunday's message is called Sacred Space. The scriptures are read by Judy Page, who's our church vice president, and they are several selected verses from 1 Kings 8. The epistle is from Ephesians and you'll, you'll hear her read all these and then the Gospel is from Mark 6. Uh, the focus is on what the title is, Sacred Space. I'll talk about thin places a little bit too and with some application to what's going on at St. Peter's and Sacred Space. Wherever your church home may be I hope you will find meaning in this. It's a bit of a far-ranging message but I hope it holds together. Certainly uh, thought so and before we go any further let's ask God's blessing on this merciful God sometimes it's hard to hold on to our faith in these times sometimes maybe it's not so hard because we're so different but we ask you for continued faith and hope and strength and patience and love for the living of these days and we also humbly ask that you open our ears to hear what we're about to hear in case it speaks to our souls and guides the words of our mouth and the deeds of our hands. In Jesus name we ask this. Amen. And now Judy Page and the Old Testament lesson. Hi, the recording of the scriptures that was recorded in worship for August twenty second. Was the audio quality was too bad to be used, so through no fault of our lectors. So I've been asked to read the scriptures, uh, re-record them uh, in service to getting the podcast out. The first reading is selected verses from First Kings chapter eight, and it takes place roughly around nine sixty B.C. And this is when the Ark of the Covenant is brought in to the sanctuary of the temple and dedicated with, dedicated with prayer. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites, before King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The covenant that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, There shall never fail you a successor before me to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your children look to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, My father David, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. O hear in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner calls you to, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. This ends the reading from First Kings. Our epistle lesson is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. For some, a very familiar verse, as Paul writes about the full armor of God. Paul wrote, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. He runs the reading from Ephesians. Our worship continues with our final scripture lesson. It is Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through the first half of verse 6. Jesus has been on tour, so to speak, doing a lot of dramatic healing. story picks up here. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Josephs and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them and he was amazed at their unbelief, and then he went about among the villages teaching. Here ends the reading from the Gospel and today's scriptures for today. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. Sacred Space is the title of the sermon, though it's not in your bulletin because I was nowhere near a title a week and a half before today so that's what it's called though sacred space and sacred space is one of those things that I knew before I knew what it was when I was a young pastor I remember seeing some persons at st. Nikolai UCC uh, who would get upset if someone new or just someone else sat in their pew one such woman verbally confronted an innocent someone during the prelude, telling whoever it was that they had to move because they were sitting in her spot, her pew. That is not a strategy for church growth, by the way. (laughs) Later, it was explained to me by another pastor that pews are often sacred spaces because they're one example one reason not the only one there may there may be where a couple sat and worshiped for years one of them died and that spot became even more significant to the survivor because that was where they had been together in worship with friends where they took communion and prayed together it was sacred space it was more than a pew to that person and then I realized what my old home church in Minneapolis was a kind of spiritual womb where this boy without realizing what was happening learned the Lord's Prayer then I realized too what I had already known without knowing about my old bedroom in Columbia Heights but I didn't have the words for it until then the place where I got down on my knees in prayer and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, and my life changed in an instant. It was sacred space to me. I gratefully looked long and well the last time I got to see that bedroom. And then there was Neva Simons, an elderly member of my home church, who confided in me one Sunday coffee hour that on another day she was resting on a park bench. And at one point, kind of all of a sudden, was given this sense of the presence of God there. She was not seeking it, but God gave it to her. Now, if that was not sacred space, at least it was a holy event for her, and to me, that is kind of what helps define sacred space. A holy event took place there. So, I've Followed a Facebook post from a seminary friend. Her name is Bronwyn Boswell. Uh, And this post inquired about others' experiences with what the Celtic Christians call thin places. They are places where it seems just like a veil and no more between this world and the next. Between us and the presence of God is there in an almost tangible way like sacred space or a subset of it. Well, her friend, Paul Rack, commented on thin places. Quote, we use that term imprecisely. It comes, of course, from the Celts, who apparently identified certain places where the veil between this world and the next is perceived as thin, Meaning, he continued, I suppose, easily crossed over. Iona in Scotland, is perhaps one of the is perhaps the classic thin thin place. He wrote, Glastonbury comes to mind. I suspect there are such places we identify as individuals or families, and some relate to cultures. But just imagining such places is a radical departure from modern rationalism in the first place which is the point. He said, a century ago, the idea would have been dismissed as ridiculous. And what does it mean, he asks, to feel close to the next world? A sense of the holy or numinous? A sense of connectedness and oneness? Closeness to eternity or the kingdom of God? All the above, I think. However, it is not real unless and until it inspires compassion and wisdom in this world. In the end, he said, the creation is a thin place if we have the eyes to see it. Interestingly enough, some in these responses that said that upon going someplace with the thin place reputation say Iona in Scotland or the church of the holy sepulcher in Jerusalem in Israel some say they went there with expectations in hindsight too high thus a little too heavy and therefore unfulfilling others said it's not necessarily a particular place but events like the birth of a child a wedding or even a death in the family now I could qualify the term sacred space and thin places but this is not the time and not really the point they're similar if not the same and that's good enough for now the sermon title is sacred space so let's go with that by now some of you may be waiting for me to ask the question So, what has been or is sacred space to you, if anywhere? I think we can agree that for those who have sensed them, they vary from individual to individual. And even as some places have reputations, that may not be or may be your experience. I've mentioned to you some of mine just at the beginning of the sermon from the past, So how about you, again, if any? It's too bad we don't have a coffee hour or a program afterwards where we could share our answers. One place that, by contrast, turned out not to be a sacred space is Nazareth when Jesus came back. It starts out promisingly enough, doesn't it? Jesus left that place, wherever he'd been at the end of chapter 9, and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. What deed of power are being done by his hands? But then it seems they could not conceive that the carpenter and the boy they knew and the Lord were one and the same so they took offense at him however there were a few who trusted jesus there and they had a healing encounter with god and he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them and then as judy read jesus moved on not a sacred space except for those few who came to him for healing and received it or maybe you'd prefer to say nazareth was and is sacred space those folks who knew him as a kid just didn't realize it same as when some folks tried to run him off a cliff after he read from isaiah in the synagogue and said that he fulfilled those prophecies in their hearing maybe they just didn't receive it maybe that doesn't take away from it being a sacred space Maybe Fred Craddock was right. In a sermon he preached a long time ago, he said that when love comes to town, the stormtroopers of hate wake up and put their boots on and go on the attack. Again, by contrast, did you not get a sense of holiness in the reading from 1 Kings? It's all over the place. Then the priests brought the ark to its place, its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place. When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This is laden with serious, reverential quality. And not to forget the symbolism of the cloud, which represents the presence of God being so thick here that the priests ran out choking. Remember the pillar of cloud when the Hebrews were leaving Egypt and the pillar of fire by night. Truly, this is sacred space. This inner sanctuary of the Temple of Solomon, where the Ark of the Covenant, holding some of the manna from the wilderness, wanderings, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's staff. I would say this is the Holy of Holies that we remember from the Lenten stories, the really high curtain of the temple that was torn into from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross, but that was not this time. This temple was destroyed by the Babylonians when they conquered Jerusalem and Judea over a handful of years from the late 7th century B.C. to the early 6th century B.C. The temple Jesus knew and where that high divide between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple that was built centuries after Solomon. It was after the exile in Babylon when Ezra and Nehemiah led the returning Jews back to Judea and the rebuild of the temple and of the new they would rebuild Jerusalem and its walls so that place was a location to believe that God was believed to dwell almost as if God were in the ark of the covenant but certainly around it and in the holy of holies and in the temple well some know this room as a sacred space where you have encountered God. That's a major reason why the fate of this church building is of great concern going forward due to needed repair or replacement which come with high prices. And speaking of sacred space here where we are this instant, just two weeks ago we had the anointing with oil and the laying on of hands. And I've told some of you How powerful a pastoral moment that is for me. And I could see in some of your eyes when it appeared to be so for you. At least when my own eyes were open. Because sometimes they were closed. With the presence of the Holy Spirit, sacred moments and relationships create sacred space. It is a gift from God. Wherever and whenever it happens some look forward to the service at laurel park next sunday because in the great cathedral of the outdoors the presence of god they sense is more easily sensed more accessible even king solomon knew that sacred space at the dedication of the temple and the ark does not mean god is limited to particular places so we heard him pray but will god indeed Dwell on the earth. Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place of which you said my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer that your servant prays toward this place and forgive. So Solomon realizes that God is not domesticated to one location. He understood that God is transcendent everywhere. Fancy theological term is omniscient. Excuse me, omnipresent. He understood that God is omnipresent. Yet prays for God to keep an eternal eye on that place, that holy place where people pray the temple, including, as he said, people who are not from Israel. The, for, the foreigner who prays toward that place. It seems that the ark and the temple are where God may be more present than others in the world, if one believes that's a possibility, more easily sensed, more approachable, where one can focus. They can be an Old Testament sacred space, but it's not the only one, for the Lord God is everywhere. And speaking about places or spaces, I learned recently that one of the buzzwords of the construction industry is the expression purpose-built. A purpose-built building is designed and constructed to fulfill a particular function or purpose. Thus a school district might build a purpose-built gymnasium. A city may erect a purpose-built theater for drama and dance productions. Or a university might construct a purpose-built science lab. These structures have one purpose and one purpose only. They're contrasted to a multi-purpose building, which might have many uses, although even a multi-purpose building can be considered a purpose-built structure in that it is specifically designed to be a multi-purpose building. That's his purpose, to be a multi... to build a purpose... That's his purpose, to be a multi-purpose. If there ever was a purpose-built structure, it was the glorious temple that Solomon's laborers built to the glory of God. And note that Solomon expresses concern as to whether the structure under the eyes of God will do what it is meant to do. Will God indeed dwell upon the earth? No structure can contain the uncontainable. Still, Solomon's blessing and prayer are designed to remind Israel not only the purpose of the purpose-built temple, which offers its own mighty sacred space opportunity, but also the purposes of God to all people, not just the people of Israel, even the foreigner not of Israel, comes, he says, comes from a distant land because of your name and prays toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, the prayers of the foreigners are, and do according to all that the foreigner asks so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and that your name has been invoked on this house in St. Peter's Strategic Planning Initiative discussions. This passage provides a great opportunity to talk about the purposes served by the building in which we worship. Even the great temple was in part for a witness to the Gentiles. There is the aspect of invitation, welcome, and transformation in the name of our God. In the New Testament, we may change that to include the name of Christ. Sacred space can be like that, where it might not always be about our spiritual growth or experience, but also be about taking our faith beyond that place in love and invitation. THAT IS THE PURPOSE OF THIS SACRED SPACE AND THIS GROUP OF BELIEVERS. I REMEMBER THE WORDS OF PAUL RACK, THAT FACEBOOK POST COMMENTATOR I MENTIONED EARLIER. HE ASKED OF THIN PLACES OR SACRED SPACE, WHAT DOES IT MEAN TO FEEL CLOSE TO THE NEXT WORLD? A SENSE OF THE HOLY OR numinous? A SENSE OF CONNECTEDNESS AND ONENESS? closeness to eternity and to the origin of the kingdom of god all of the above i think however it is not real unless and until it inspires inspiration it inspires compassion and wisdom in this world until and unless it inspires us to do justice love kindness and walk humbly with our god Amen. Bless you for listening to this edition of the Red-Headed Preachers podcast. I forgot to mention that it was for Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. The upcoming Sunday, August 29th, is when we worship at Laurel Park in Skokie, Illinois. And it's an outdoor service. And I know that it's not going to be recorded for YouTube, which is generally how we get the scriptures uh, grafted into this podcast from the, the video. So without the video, we'll see what we can do to put together a, the, a full podcast for the 29th. And even if uh, we have trouble recording the lecture, I can always record those if needed. And we can certainly record the sermon. So I look forward to bringing you a message next week. I think it's going to be about climate control and the faith. And um, just because it's a crisis and the church needs to be speaking to the issues of the day through uh, through the light and understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ and God the Creator. And so I give you thanks once more. And I ask that may God bless your week. Amen.